I used to be a triangle player in a reggae band, but I had to leave. It was just one thing after another. Hello, my wonky veg. Here I am coming, or maybe not, as orgasm should never be the main goal, into your ear crystals with a brand new podcast. The format of this audio adventure, because the internet tells me that that kind of thing is of importance, is a journey into the mind of an overthinker that doesn't think in formats. A wonderful, wandering scatterbrain. In this inaugural happening, we lightly tickle such subject matters as Audi, Porsches with drugs, and an age gap flap. We have Torval and Dean with Sertraline, a vampire electrician, and counterculture IPA punks making considerable savings on their weekly shop. The gentle music in the background is provided by my daughter's calming mobile. It is of importance that we all have a part of us that reverts back to the child state. Let's have a right run-up at it then, shall we? I'm trying to create a little home for us here, a safe space that we can all occupy. And we've got the painters in, and they haven't been to sleep after another long session in the pub. There's an old English saying dating as far back as 2015 that states, if you can piss, you can paint, meaning anyone can do it. Which is true, but have you seen the way some blokes piss? all over the shop, leaving a right unsightly mess. What's that he's asking? If we wish our windows to be painted with an emulsion or a gloss, or if we would like him to leave them see-through. A painter once told me that if you are hungover and need a nap in the working hours of the day, always do it at the bottom of a ladder. Then if the custom comes in, you can say you fell off the ladder. Clever when they need to be these painters. Oh, here he is. The Sparky, a.k.a. the electrician. He's turned up and is asking if he can enter the property. Much like a vampire must be invited into a house to get in. But these tradesmen don't suck your blood. They suck the money from your wallet. We are pleased to see you. We've been waiting for you since nine. Has the electricity already been turned off then, chap? Um, um no, Mr Sparky Man. I, I don't think it has. Alright, oh, just I can't hear the kettle on. For anyone wondering, that's exactly how our electrician friends speak. This house we are erecting together is an ongoing project that much like the fourth bridge in Scotland, the painting will never be finished. Our house will always need to be worked on, and we will do so weekly here in Las Las Land. So I've been making two journeys regularly. I'm currently a stay-at-home dad, apart from the rare hours when I leave the house. On my first journey of the week, which is to rhythm and time, and while singing to my daughter, Riverman, 
time again. A poorly sung, slight variation of the 1993 Counting Crows semi-classic Time and Time Again, I see the police hiding in the crooks and fannies of the side flaps of the road. It's the kind of vehicle stop check of which the lone motorbike cop spots its target, sticks on their disco lights and then follows them down the road where there's a shit ton of them in a lay-by further on, waiting for their next unexpected victim. And there were plenty of victims. So much so, a temporary queuing system was in operation, complete with a holding pen waiting area. What struck me? The 5-0 Popo were only pulling over fancy-pants souped-up cars. As I employed my Inspector Gadget neck, I could see a white Porsche at the front of the queue. He was probably getting done for having no indicators. Now I was fine, trundling along in the beat-up old Corsa, and my four smooth-as-a-baby's-skin tyres went unnoticed. My car used to be owned by the police. I could have had a hundred grams of Tesco's finest hashish, or beak, hidden in my baby's car seat, and it wouldn't have been a bother. It got me thinking, actually. Why do drug dealers have souped-up cars? For the very reason just outlined, getting yourself noticed. But also, if my drug dealer turned up in one, I would immediately be taking my business elsewhere, on the account of them being a flash git. In a previous life, I was a plumber. The two owners of our local independent suppliers both bought brand new posh cars that, whenever you pulled in to use the suppliers, were proudly parked out front. They were like two shiny erections showing off, not unlike their owners. What happened was plumbers stopped using them as their main supplier because they felt they were making too much money. The cops were still there on my reverse journey home, questioning and booking the public, and ruining their day. But it wasn't that that had me now questioning. I had a new line of inquiry. After an incident that, if the police were around on that part of the road, they would have had to have gotten themselves embroiled. The incident? Good old-fashioned road rage. We had our two-hander performance. An irate young guy seated in his ironically souped-up car, which was sat at a standstill. His window wound fully down. Maybe he had just come back from the lay-by of Contretemps. Then we had an older guy give him the two crooked-fingered Vs and the diarrhoea dialect from the other side of the road. As a spectator, I hadn't seen the initial incident that had set these two alpha males off. But I imagine the mature gentleman had crossed in front of the driving juvenile, leaving a braking distance undesirable to Junior. The visceral rage was such that not even my go-go gadget ears could make head nor tail of what each other's point was, if indeed there now was one. As I drove past as slowly as I could, without me coming to a standstill, and thus being in a real danger of audience participation, there was no sign of a let-up. So much so, my gaze had to be turned to my rear-view mirror. 
Now in 21 by 9 aspect ratio, the older player, who looked like he was about to walk into a shop, at the very last second did a 1984 Dean pivot and went back for some more verbals. Sadly, the objects of my attention, who were now starring exclusively in my rearview mirror mini-drama, did not appear closer than they were, so the end credits rolled with no personal resolution. I can guarantee that lack of resolve happened further back up the track as well. It got me thinking, on one hand you had an experienced and presumably wiser man verbally abusing a presumably less astute and less lived young man, yet on the other hand a young man totally disrespecting an elder. But the bigger question I'd like to ask regarding the battle of angry young'un versus livid oldie is, who really wins? The romantic poet, Lord Byron, once said, I only go out to get me a fresh appetite for being alone. In his life, Byron owned a crow, a pet bear and three monkeys. He may have been the first celebrity in the way that we know celebrity today, with his wife coining the term Byromania. And he was the main inspiration for the first ever vampire, after his friend... John William Polidori based his lead character on him in the book Vampire. Vampire. A vampire. That's the spelling of V A M P Y R E. And it's said exactly the same way as the other spelling of V A M P I R E. But I get no pleasure in saying it vampire. The idea from old Polidori came from an improvised ghost story that was told one night in 1816 during a rainy holiday at Lake Geneva. I like to pitch them all around a campfire. With Byron, Polidori and Mr Percy Shelley was an 18-year-old Mary Godwin. Mary Godwin later became Mary Shelley. THE Mary Shelley that wrote Frankenstein, based, get this, on the ghost stories she told that night around the possibly non-existent campfire. What are the odds of that? Well, privilege helps a little bit. But other than that, I would love to retrace these steps of these writers on that holiday and work out the exact spot they told these ghost stories and try and absorb the energy from their collective creative souls. I may even grasp a better understanding of the English language. I think I would eat some of the soil or some of the soil or some shit. Like, not shit as in shit, I don't want to eat shit. I meant like, you know, you know, like soil and soil and shit, like stuff and shit. I think this, the best place for me, to read to you one of my poems. Just like a comedian going on after another hilarious comedian who has just brought the house down. 
give it up for Lord Byron. Here's my poem is called A Gibber or a Taker by Louis Valander. Johnny adored his job as a porn star, but he had developed a chronic frown. So his doctor put him on surgery to turn it upside down. Now he was feeling much better, no longer feeling a worthless piece of shit, nor that of a loner. But he had a major problem on his hands, because he could no longer get a boner. Now I'm going to be brave here, and tell you a little bit of information. That was inspired after a prolonged difficult period recently where I found myself taking the antidepressant surgery, which I have to say was beneficial at first, but as time went on I developed the side effect of sexual dysfunction. Surgery, bless it, may getting down to it, or any personal sex act for that matter, a rather difficult pursuit. So much so, I couldn't be asked. I would describe the feeling at the time in my general groin area, like leaning on your knob till you get pins and needles, smearing numbing cream on your cock and balls, putting on ten extra small condoms, other sizes are available, watching some granny porn, and then trying to have sex. That was just my personal experience. If you're struggling at the moment with any mental health issues, no matter how big or small you perceive them to be, please go and speak with your doctor about different options available to you. Medication, and there are many different types, therapy, support groups, charities such as MIND, activities, a bit of green therapy, and many more options, please consider them all. You will find something that suits you. If you have a partner or a family member who is struggling, please support them in any way you can, and that includes any side effects from medication. Never mind my bollocks. Here's Liddles. My love for Liddles knows no bounds. That big old son of a heart-warming yellow logo greeting me at its one-way salutation automatic doors, making me feel the centre of its universe. At my local Lidl's there's a sign positioned just before their car park entrance that reads, just a little further. It's such cheeky chappies. At the beginning of the 1970s, there were MC5, Iggy and the Stooges and the New York Dolls laying the foundation for the punk rock sound. Although at the time, not having critical acclaim, the Ramones were cutting their wonky teeth at the legendary CBGBs in Manhattan's East Village from 74 onwards. In the UK in 1975, Malcolm McLaren spat out the Sex Pistols. With him in tow, after having previously managed the New York Dolls in the US, he took that blueprint, bringing it back to London, where his fashion designer partner, Vivian Westwood's fetish and bondage shop Sex, was located on the King's Road. Sex became a popular retail hangout for the soon-to-be-called punks. Interesting, the word punk 
is thought to have been first used as far back as 1899. Otto Wise, who was comparing a fraternal lodge event known as a smoker in San Francisco, thought that a song performed by his friend Eugene Levy that night was so bad that it needed a new name. A review of the event in the San Francisco Corn newspaper described Levy's efforts as the most punk song ever heard in a hall. The article also included when a member was called upon to recite, tell a story, sing a song or dance, and failed to do what he was told to do, he would have to pay a fine into the social fund. How bad was this song? In 1973, the New York Dolls released their self-titled, their self-titled debut album, which was to become a precursor to the punk movement. In 1973, in Ludwigshafen, Germany, the first little discount store opened, with a grand total of three employees offering around 500 products, a precursor to the German budget supermarket movement. 1977 is considered the year that punk broke into, dare I say it, the mainstream media. This came about on the back of the Pistols' UK TV appearance with Bill Grundy in December of 1976. In 77, the Pistols released God Save the Queen and Pretty Vacant. Other notable singles that year came from The Clash chanting White Riot, The Damned releasing New Rose in Germany, New Rose was released in 1976 in the UK and is considered the first single by a UK punk band, X-Ray Specs snarled, Oh, bondage, up yours. And the Stranglers' war cry was, No more heroes. Nineteen seventy-seven was a massive year for Little too, after founding member Joseph Schwartz passed away. Following Joseph's death, his son Dieter wanted to take the business in a different direction. He decided to focus on large-scale discount supermarkets. In a move not dissimilar to Malcolm McLaren copying, <coughs> cough, being influenced by the U.S. punk scene in the early 70s, Dieter Schwartz copied, <coughs> was influenced by fellow German contemporaries Audi, who had started expanding their large-scale discount supermarkets at the end of the 60s and early 70s. The 1970s became a pivotal decade for Audi as they released store after store. Lidl and Audi are punks. Like the damned, they smashed things up. Lidl and Audi only opened their first stores in the UK in the 90s and it didn't take long for them to explode onto the supermarket scene and take on the established acts who had been strutting around their wares for years after getting a firm hold in the food retail market. Tesco, in their blue, perfectly fitted pinstripe suit and Cuban heels. Sainsbury's, 
in their button-down silk orange shirt. Safeway and Asda in their green diamond encrusted capes and matching crowns. And Waitrose in their barbell jackets, foxblood red chinos and Hunter Wellington boots. Now some of you might be thinking, and by that I mean absolutely no one will be thinking, yeah, but what about Quicksave? By this do you mean the red and white clown outfit of Quicksave? Quicksave were a large discount supermarket chain here in the UK. Quicksave to me is the former lover who got away. Every so often I think about them, but it's all too easy to become nostalgic. Hey, maybe there's a part of me that still loves them, but the reason Quicksave and I did not work out was they just didn't have enough backbone. To be punk, it is a minimum requirement. Lidl first opened a store in the UK in 1994, a year when the UK and beyond was having its latest West Coast of America surf wave of post-punk bands. Or would that be post-post-punk bands? after they were influenced by the 70s and 80s bands. In 1994, Quicksave was at its peak with more than 800 stores. The classified budget supermarket scores read by Louis Val. Little, one, Quicksave, 800. 800 UK stores versus Little's one. It wasn't even Lidl, or Aldi for that matter, that made Quicksave buckle. It was when the establishment started doing their own budget ranges to counteract the inevitable German kick up the ass that was coming their way. Quicksave stage dived in July of 2007, but there was no one there to catch the body. The crowd had left and found a new scene. On new soil worldwide, the supermarket punks had arrived, and they didn't give a shit about the mainstream. A little rough around the edges? We don't care, because check out these prices, because we are stacking it high and selling it cheap. Customer service at the till? Every end of the till line looked like a collective slam dance mosh pit complete with products and limbs colliding into each other. And all this wasn't even the most punk rock thing the Germans did. The most punk thing the German retailers did was blatantly ripping off products with zero regard for copyright or trademark infringement. If we go back to the year of 1977, when punk broke, there was another significant act that played out its distorted riffs. Whippersnapper Dieter Schwartz wanted a rebrand, therefore a new name for his business's change of direction into large discount stores. After his father's death Schwartzer toyed with the idea of using the name Schwartzer Market, but he did not want to use this name because there was a glaring problem. Schwarzer 
Dieter's surname in German means black. Mr. Black. Black Market. Because of this, Dieter wanted to use his father's Joseph's former partner's name, A. Liddell, which was in the original name of the company when it was set up in 1932, when it was a fruit wholesaler. Perfect. We have our name, Liddell. But bizarrely, Liddell, as we know them today, isn't named after the original co-founder, A. Liddell. Due to a legal dispute preventing Dieter from using that name, modern-day Liddell is named after Ludwig Liddell. This randomly came about when Dieter discovered a newspaper article about a painter and retired schoolteacher named Ludwig Liddell. Dieter then brought the rights to his name from him for 1,000 German marks. It's interesting that Schwarzer Market means black market. It could be said that a black market is characterised by a non-compliance with institutional rules. Now, I'm not saying Lidl, or Audi for that matter, are doing anything illegal with the branding of their goods. But how many of us have been in their stores and had a light to medium chuckle at the major similarities in their packaging or use of a household product name? How many of you have uttered, how do they get away with this? Here are a blatant few. At 10, Audi has crisp rice instead of rice crispies. But from our cheeky chaps little wheat shreds instead of shredded wheat. At 9, Robinson's fruit shoots have been altered to fruity shots. That's fruity shots. Very confusing to read that that one because they've they've just added a Y to fruit and dropped an O from shoot. So that's kids doing shots. Up one at eight, Lidl's Snacktastic. That's the brand. Monster Claws. Instead of Poptastic, that's not a brand. Monster Munch. The Monster Claw typeface. Snaptastic use for the logo on the packet is beautifully spooky. It's got a nice gay porn horror vibe. The Misfits would be proud of that one. Lucky Seven. What have we got at Lucky Seven? The Lazy Git Hoops instead of Hula Hoops. Those branding guys working hard for that one. New at Six. Cheese Curls instead of Quavers. I'm running out of words not unlike them to point to the point though I'll give them that mm-hmm. what's this one mint bubbly instead of mint aero coming in at five is that is that a twister no no it's not it's a wolves that's wool with a z for the edge okay I'm on board for this one if you're naming a soft, fun product like an ice cream, Wills sounds a lot softer than the cacophony sound of Twister. 
plus a twister, that's going to kill you. A whirls, probably just a light tickle of your undercarriage. Highest new entry of four. And this is genius, to be fair. Or maybe not genius. If you remove the first letter of the first letter of C from clover, and then remove the last letter of R from clover, you have the word love. And that's what Audi called their butter substitute spread. Clover's logo on front of their yellow tub lovingly made with buttermilk. Audis, on their yellow tub, spread the love. Mmm, spread the love butter. Sorry. Up two places at three. Instead of Rice crispy Squares, Audi have crisp rice oblongs, which to be fair are much truer to the shape of the sickly gooey marshmallow snack. At two, McVitie's Penwin chocolate bars. Pop up a pick up a Penwin and all that. Yeah, we love a Penwin bar here in the UK. Hold up, this can't be right. Unless you're in Aldi, where you will be, where you will pop up picking up a seal. They are called seal bars. So, so, so suck on a seal. This is sacrilege. You do not fuck with a penguin. If we were French, there would be a, there would have been a major protest about this. And this week's number one, instead of Brewdog Punk IPA, we have Audi's Anti-Establishment IPA. Anti-Establishment IPA. Lidl have recently launched theirs. They've called it Counterculture IPA. Both these products are not punk IPA, but are certainly punk AF. In this top 10, I've only concentrated on the names of the products, with this being a non-visual format. But all the packaging uses the same colours and hues as the most popular established brands and have strikingly similar, aka direct rip-offs, of the logo styles. 80% of the products are called private label and are self-producing DIY products. They were influenced, <coughs> they, were, they were copied, they have copied the blueprint of the established products. Anti-establishment IPA. They are doing all this in plain sight. Lidl have made their bid into the American market, opening their first store in 2017. If you go to the About page on the official US website for Lidl, there is a big page heading that reads suspiciously low priced groceries again they are doing it all in plain sight they don't care punk was about learning three chords and getting up on that stage and sucking it to the establishment little and aldi with that punk swagger have socked it to the large establishment supermarkets 
But with Audi, but with Lidl and Audi making their biggest ever profits at the tail end of 2022, with the cost of living crisis, are these two powerhouses now the mainstream? Are they the establishment? Do I need to go and yell, you fucking sellouts, whilst fingering the product of the infamous centre aisle? Maybe. They are hardly anti-commercial, are they? But then the Sex Pistols were signed to Virgin Records under a young Richard Branson and the Clash signed to CBS for a hundred grand. A huge amount of money at the time. Still is. Punk has always been a confusing mix of anti-establishment establishment. Punk continues to be more about its ability to shake things up, to fly in the face of societal norms and reject established thinking. To strip things right back to their bare minimum as to discover a new way, whilst doing all this with a minimal or rough round rough around the edges aesthetic. Little plus Audi equals punk. I've got a little um, song recommendation for you. It's called Lost in the Supermarket by the band The Cash, and it's off their classic album. Liddles calling. So what is this podcast? Are you more or are you less confused than when you were banging your head against the starting gate? I've never heard of a Louis Valander. And what the Mintero fudge are the gang of Lars? And moreover, is this a frigging cult? All I'm going to say on that one is, don't drink the prime. Let's see if we can answer a couple of these questions. What is this podcast and who is Louis Valander? Louis Valander is an all the world's a stage stage name and is me. As this isn't a visual medium, I will put forward to you that I am an incredibly handsome man. So much so that mirrors blush in my presence. And I have an intelligence that is so high that my penis is the size of a microdot on a single piece of blotter paper. On penises, and the trouble they get you in, I am currently a proud stay-at-home dad for my gorgeous life force of a daughter who is 14 months old. In 2010, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, which meant I had to retire as a plumbing and heating engineer in 2019 due to the extreme physical aspect of such work. I knew this time would eventually come, uh, I knew this time would eventually have to come pre-2010, but for many years leading up to this decision, I grappled with how to make a living whilst living with a chronic health condition. The main problem with my health condition is how I feel day to day and the commitment that comes with turning up at a said time, which is of course routinely involved with regular work. Even if I was part-time say, I can't possibly know how I will feel at 6, 7, 8 or 9 on any given morning of the week. I can't exactly say to my boss, I need half an hour to nap, or a mental time out because of brain fog, 
or I only need to be going at half speed to conserve these tiny little teaspoons of energy that I have been tentatively balancing all day. This of course brings a stress within itself. I carry a feeling of guilt of potentially letting people down. Yet I want to work. I want to live uh, with purpose, I want to provide for my family, my daughter, and I want to contribute to the wider environment. When I knew I needed a career change, I set myself on a path of creativity, which 99% of the closest people around me questioned. In 2015, a time in the world where everything hadn't completely turned into a shit show, I enrolled on an art and design diploma at my local college that unfortunately has recently been shut down by greedy, corporate, unsympathetic fuckpigs that are Warwickshire College's group. They only had it for four years and binned it off. The college has been there since 1886. I would be on a building site and a builder would say, see you tomorrow, and I'd reply, I'm not here tomorrow, I'm at art college. The looks I would get were beautiful, and traders didn't know how to take this new info. And I was half decent at it, so I was encouraged by the staff to apply for a fine art degree. So I did, and completed that in 2019. This set me on a path of art therapy, combining two loves of mine, creativity and psychology. I enrolled on a hard-to-get-on MA in art psychotherapy, but unfortunately, in 2022, I had to admit defeat and leave. I crashed after a period of ill health and I was struggling to keep up with the demands. I was gutted. I am a creative person. It is my love and passion and it really energises me. It makes me want to push through and can even make the health problems almost, almost, seem worthwhile. I've loved putting this, third pod- this first podcast together. This is now my creative path, and I want to be honest and upfront with you from day one. I want this to be my career. I don't expect anything to come to me for free. The podcast, future music on streaming platforms, or the community social media and other creative endeavours will be 100% free to you, but I must work out ways to make a living from it. So, to this end... I've set up a patron to set the wheels in motion. My statement of intent to myself, if you will, where a small contribution can be made monthly to enable me to continue making this podcast. I don't expect a flurry of people. After all, this is just day one. But as they say, you have to start somewhere. For the price of a London coffee or a gentle graze of a petrol pump nozzle, at your friendly, independent local shell garage, you can be the first supporters of the podcast. As stated, the podcast is free. But if you find yourself in a position where you can afford to contribute, contribute, the patron is www.patreon.com forward slash Louis Golas. So that's patreon.com forward slash Al O U I E G. O-L-A-S Louis and Golas That's me and you, the gang of Lars And on to question two Who and what are the gang of Lars? 
Well, I stated that's you. So it's me and you. Think of it like an Apple Macintosh 128K ecosystem of creativity that will, that will comprise of sound and visual art. Think of it as a community, a gang passing around a can of counterculture IPA and sharing ideas. I would like you to spin along on this walks ride and to have input on the creative endeavours and many subject matters covered. So to become a group of supportive, empathetic, like-minded bipeds. A group I am currently lacking in being a member of myself, somewhat. Remember, creativity and support of another underpins everything we do here. This podcast is DIY. It's lo-fi, but importantly it's independent and influenced by punk and is sat in the timeline, waiting and readying itself to sell out. And that's that, gangars. We have only gone and bloody done it. We are the last ones to cross the finish line, and we couldn't be happier. Thank you, thank you. But, Louis Louis, I gotta go now. <laughs> <laughs>